What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 248 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday, our normal time slot, but it's anything but, anything but a normal show. We are previewing the NLDS coming up against the Miami Marlins, and joining me to talk about all of it are both Eric Coleman and Eric Coleman, Eric Cole and Scott Coleman. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, you know what? It doesn't really matter because Scott and I are kind of in the same Cole sort of club. So I mean I'm I'm I am fine adopting his last name as I'm sure he's probably <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Yeah, good to be on, Brad. Thanks for having us. Um should be a good series. I think uh, you know, obviously play the Marlins this week and that's a there's been some history between those two clubs and, and it's only gonna fuel that fire a little bit more. So this next week should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's it's unfair that you both have the same last name structure to throw me off in the, at the beginning of the podcast. But here we are, uh Honestly, I did not expect to be previewing the Marlins, to be honest with you. Uh, we did know that they were winning the series last time we talked on the podcast, but they swept the Cubs. That was somewhat surprising. Uh, they have never lost a playoff series, so we'll say that right now. The Miami Marlins have never lost a playoff series in franchise history, and I am contractually required to bring up the fact that the Braves and the Marlins played in 1997. It was Eric Gregg, <laughs> it was Levon Hernandez, and still to this day, that was the single maddest I've ever been about sports. You could certainly argue that you know, the Falcons Super Bowl catastrophe, was I was probably sadder during that, but the single like most blind rage I've ever been about a sporting event was against the Marlins. So, lots of uh, synergy coming up. Alas, this time around, it's been a long time. All parties are different, other than like Brian Snicker is still in the organization, but he's like the only person that's still working for the team that was around uh, at that point in time, and uh, obviously a fresh start for all involved. Uh, before we dive into the matchup stuff, I do want to talk about a little bit of the news that happened both in advance of this series and also just other stuff that's happening. Um, this is more the last series, but we should at least bring it up that Ronald Acuna Jr. and Trevor Bauer got into it on Twitter, which was very, very uh, interesting and fun. Uh, I guess Scott, did you have a reaction to that? Because people were asking us to talk about it and do like an like an emergency podcast. Sorry, we, we didn't do that. But uh, now that now that it's like three days old, anything you want to react to uh, with uh, with those two guys going at it? So I loved Ronnie's tweet. I think it was Thursday night. Uh, but Trevor Bauer's clapback with the video was like top five moments ever for me on baseball Twitter. It was phenomenal. If you somehow missed it, you have to go back and look at the video. Bauer tweeted, I think, Friday morning, and Acuna responded. And, and again, it's it's just two guys who are extreme competitors who want to get the best out of every matchup. Had some great battles throughout the the short and wild card series. Um, but yeah, I, I was audibly laughing at at Bauer's reaction video because it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, and it seemed like both guys were having fun with it too, right? Like, they, like you know, once the series was over with, I mean, obviously Ronnie's happy because the Braves are moving on. You know, Bauer is probably not happy with the result, but, you know, his brand is kind of, you know, kind of just to be a turd at, you know, towards anyone who disagrees with him uh, and who is a competitor against him. But at the same time, like, it seemed like both guys were having fun with it. Uh, I know that Twitter, I know that Bauer, like, tweeted later on, like, you know, he was, like, wishing Ronnie luck and all this other stuff. So, you know, it's it was just kind of fun for me. I, it didn't seem like that sort of that bad blood sort of drama uh, so much as just kind of two guys that were uh, utilizing social media effectively. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> that is, uh, that's well said, Eric. That was a very uh, diplomatic way to put that. I will be honest with you, but yeah, it was entertaining. Not quite emergency podcast worthy. I know people were asking us for it. My apologies. So it would have been like a four minute podcast, so that wasn't really worth it. I don't think. But uh, a fun moment on on the Twitter machine. Okay, we'll turn our attention now to the series at hand. 
before we dive into the baseball matchups, how about that, how about that TV schedule, Scott uh, and Eric, I guess, but really worse for Scott. Um, Two oh eight p.m. Eastern time starts for the first four games: uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then 4.08 if Game 5 exists on Saturday. And uh, I made this point on Twitter, but it is entirely possible, and in fact, it's going to happen, potentially, that even a diehard Braves fan could you know, be living and dying with the team this, this whole season and somehow could consume six playoff games and never be able to watch one pitch. And that is utterly ridiculous. So I'll go, I'll go to Eric first. Uh, Eric, do you have a response to this? I know we all have day jobs, so this is uh, making life difficult on us too, but uh, beyond us, it's kind of just you know the fan base. I know a lot of people are working at home, but this is still pretty brutal if you're a Bryce fan. Yeah, I've had to kind of take some uh, drastic measures to kind of make sure that I can, at the very least, do my game coverage because uh, yours truly is on game one duty for Tuesday, uh, if for no other reason, try to keep Doc Herbert off of it. Yeah, he's the, not Doc, the, please. The kiss of death. Yeah, Doc is the absolute kiss of death, so you're welcome, everybody. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, it's a weird it, – it is a weird situation to be in. Like, if I am objectively making the schedule for what for what they're having to do with deal with right now, like, the, the team that – the matchup that has the Marlins in it is probably going to be the one that I do end up, you know, putting in the most – in the least desirable spot. It just really sucks for Braves fans. Um, and I wish they could have at least, you know, like given them like given one night game or just like kind of rotated things out a little bit rather than just like being hell bent on just, you know, the, getting the most eyes on the biggest on the big, big markets. And I think it's a little bit short sighted considering how big the Braves are in terms of total geographical area. Uh, and, you know, if you kind of look at even what our site does, like there's a lot of there's a lot of eyeballs that watch the Braves. And I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. Uh, in terms of scheduling, um, the thing that kind of this sort of drove home for me is the lack of days off. Period, uh, and I know that sounds like that sounds a little bit silly considering that the big story is that the time slots are terrible, which they are. But you know, having no days off that means just you, there's a lot of different scheduling things like that 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 brings into like what you're doing with your rotation and you know kind of what your plans are going forward, which matters a lot for the Braves. Um, this particular series is going to be the one where that depth and that rotation is going to be. The thing that's tested the most, and when you have that combined with a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr., who still has like is nursing a bit of a wrist injury, yeah, he looked great in the Red Series. But when you have that, and then five days in a row, you know, towards the end of the season, it's just kind of it reminds me of the fact that this is kind of a dangerous series, if for no other reason that your depth is really going to be tested over those five days. Yeah, you know, I'll say the two o'clock starts are not ideal for for the West Coast fans. I'll give us a shout out. It's eleven a.m., which is not great. I guess it's better than nine a.m., which is what the wild card games were. But um, you know, as soon as the Braves advanced, I guess if it was the Cubs, maybe they had a better shot of getting a, a prime time slot or at least something that wasn't yeah. in the middle of the afternoon. But yeah, you, know, you look at the thirty teams around baseball, uh, the Marlins probably have the smallest fan base uh, certainly <laughs> certainly a bottom bottom three or four uh if we yes. want to be if we want to yes. be generous they have one of the smallest without question one of for sure so and again i get it i mean the dodgers of course are locked in on the on the kind of the later primetime slot the yankees um you're not gonna you're not gonna play the yankees at two in the afternoon unless you absolutely have to so it's unfortunate i, I guess uh it's better than uh, even earlier in the day but as soon as the braves advanced in the way the bracket shook out I guess I was kind of expecting it, and while it is unfortunate, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I agree, and I said the same thing on Twitter. Like I, I thought as soon as it was the Marlins that we we're going to be in, in for some pretty brutal start times. My only qualm is that it's every single day. Uh, like you can't throw one right. bone to a Braves fan that and put the game on in prime time. One, even if it's against another game, I know they want to sort of stagger them, but you know they they could have put the Yankees on once in the afternoon, for example. And I guess yeah. you know there's probably a little bit of room. If, for instance, and this isn't this isn't likely to happen, but if, for instance, like the Yankees and R- Yankees or Rays, like that was a sweep or something like that, they might have some flexibility um, when you get into like Thursday, Friday. But yeah, it's kind of brutal. Um, you know, also the TV selections are not great. You know, the last t- last series in the two games, I guess it was ESPN. I think I don't, I don't, Scott, brought, Scott brought this up on Twitter, but. Um, you have FS1, which isn't ideal for streaming purposes and also exploring. And then game two is on MLB Network, which is like the black box of streaming. Like it's not like its own thing. You have to have yep. a special kind of way to do that. And they are doing a free preview, which Scott pointed out. Um, but that's not, 
ideal for people trying to maybe watch this thing at work, like some of us are going to have to. So I don't know. I don't want to do a lot on this. I just wanted to at least express the fact that, yes, we understand this is really awful and trust us, it's really bad for us too because we have to watch these games intently, make notes, and be ready to talk about them. So just as a programming note, I'm not sure when the podcast will be coming out after the games. I can guarantee we will have a podcast after every game. I've committed to that. We're going to do that. It just might not be till late at night or whatever. So be patient with us and we'll have uh, content coming. Um, all right, let's talk baseball now. Let's get, get, get all that out of the way. Uh, Roster-wise, at this point, at this moment in time, it's Sunday night. We do not know what the roster is going to be. We probably won't know for another day, day and a half. Um, but we should at least talk about like changes, potentially, from the wild card round, where we litigated all the roster quite a bit. This time around, we all agree it's going to change to some degree, because they have to put another pitcher or two on there. But uh, I'll go to Scott first, as I went to Eric last time. What do you think about like where this is going to go? Because you know a fourth pitcher, you know, we, we can spend time on this as well right now because the starting rotation was essentially announced by the Braves. Uh, it's it's Freed, Anderson, and then Wright. But then beyond Game Three, we don't know what's going to happen, and that plays into this as well. So Scott, what are, what are your thoughts on the roster and what changes you might make versus what the, what, what kind of changes the Braves might make? You know, of course, this being a, a best of five series, I think you have to add at least one more pitcher in there because. While you feel anywhere from really good to okay uh, with Freed, Anderson, and Wright, you really don't know if, if we do get a games four and five, you're just not entirely sure what those games are going to look like. I would assume bullpen games for the Braves, uh, probably. So um, because of that, we saw how little the bench was really utilized in the Red Series. I know it was only two games, but other than an occasional uh, pinch running opportunity or a late inning defensive replacement, there was really minimal bench usage. And because of that, I would take the arm. You don't know what you're going to get into. Um, if you do get into a game, you know, say game three, you, you get a similar to the first game of the wild card and you have to play 13 innings and, and the bullpen gets wiped out. Well, you're not going to want to go into game four, hypothetically, with a very worn out bullpen at that point. You want the arm over someone who might pinch run or, or I guess pinch hit if there was an odd circumstance. So I would lean towards pitching. I was leaning towards pitching in the wild card round and even more so here in this next round. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that, you know, and Brad had said this too, is that you're just far more likely to use the extra pitcher, extra pitcher than you are the extra hitter, um, especially with the DH and kind of how the Braves can line up. Uh, there are a few, there are a few things to consider. One is that I just don't see a reason why Charlie Culberson needs to be on the roster at all. Uh, even, uh, you know, looking at it kind of, in a vacuum without considering the fact that you want the extra pitcher. I just don't think he's going to get it utilized the way that you'd need to, uh, especially when you consider that you have another guy like Christian Pache, presumably on your roster. Uh, another concern I have beyond, I mean, beyond is you just need, you're really going to need pitching depth. And I think that there's a pretty easy slot, whether it be, you know, Enoa or, you know, maybe it's Bryce Wilson. If you're that, that decision feels a little bit more, how do I put it? That feels a little bit more like you know how, how they've been looking in these on inside sessions and things like that because I don't think either one has been appreciably better or worse um, when you factor in like you know his injury that kind of pulled him out of a game you know how much is that still a factor so that, that there's just there's considerations that I don't have a strong a strong feeling for uh, the other problem I could potentially see is that the Marlins are presumably going to be bringing out three righties to start with with Alcantara with uh, with Sixto and then with Pablo Lopez. And I worry that with that, that they make the decision to bring in their back onto the roster and take Pache off. And I think that'd be a very, very bad decision to make. Uh, now, whether or not they actually do that, I don't know, but I, I do worry a little bit in terms of kind of getting cute with, you know, realizing that they have to go against a bunch of righties and that maybe really this is the time that Ender figures it out. When in reality, the reason why you'd be Britain Pache on your roster is to back up Marcakis and kind of have an easy switch later in games for when they bring in a left-handed reliever. That makes a lot more sense to me rather than trying to get cute and maybe having Ender on the roster when he shouldn't be there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how they're going to handle that situation. I would hope that Ender's just gone now, frankly, from the playoff consideration. But you're, you know, crazy, crazier, th crazier things have happened. I, I will say that uh, we were all surprised when they released the roster last time. There could be a surprise this time. I think that. At the very, very least, 
they cannot justify carrying 15 position players again. That makes no sense whatsoever in a series like this. You, you both said reasons why. Um, plus, you just need a fourth starting pitcher. Um, even if that guy is not going to be like treated like a starter yep. in Game 4, um, you know, if it's Enoa or whatever, you have to have someone to start that game. They might go with a traditional opener, but ideally, you're going to want to have someone that can throw, th- even if it's three innings in that game, you want to have someone on the roster that can do that. I know they have Tomlin, but they probably want to have two of those guys um, for this five-game potential marathon with no day off in the middle. So uh, the guy to remove is interesting. Um, you know, I definitely said on the last time we talked about the roster that I would have left Culberson off. And then sort of on cue, Culberson got into the last series and neither Camargo or Sandoval got into the series. Um, I understand why. I think it's because Culberson can run and those guys can't. So maybe maybe they actually want to do that. And we talked about that at the time. Like there is maybe some minor utility in being able to run someone other than Pache early in a game. So maybe that's why you would want Culberson. It seems like a, such a small thing. But you have to take somebody off. Um, it does probably seem like it's going to be Camargo or Culberson. Um, at least in my view, that if you remove one of the position guys, it's got to be one of them, I'd imagine. I think they're going to go with Sandoval. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there. I'm not sure where their heads are at. But at the very least, it needs to be 14-14. I could certainly argue for 15, 15 pitchers, honestly. I think it'd be very defensible to remove two of that group, um, especially if it was Sandoval for the uh, – if you remove Sandoval and had the flexibility of like Camargo – and wanted to roll 15 pitchers, or you take off a third catcher. Like, I'm not sure you need a third catcher, frankly, especially if you're not going to use um, Darno as a DH, which in, uh, Snit said in the first series they were not going to do that. It might be different, though. Um, this is sort of getting into the obstacles of this five straight day marathon. I can't imagine they're going to have Darno catch all five games if that happens. Five days in a row, that'd be a whole lot of a lift. And if you love his bat, um, they might want to consider going to Darno at the DH spot and maybe having Ozuna um, in the outfield, which they don't want to do, I don't, I don't think necessarily, but it's at least something to consider. Like, how would you guys handle the catcher situation? I'll go to, I'll go to Eric first. Like, it seems likely to be that we're going to see Flowers start a game at some point in the series. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and I think that the the plan of having Darno DHing against the trio of righties and then probably a bullpen game seems a little bit problematic too. Um, I don't think necessarily that you get much of an advantage doing that, and I don't think that his bat has been as good lately. Uh, and that's not just the playoffs, because really, there's only one player that was good in that, that wild card, <laughs> really? that wild card series one. at all. Exactly one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like they stitched it together and it ended up being fine, but like, you know, it's not like Darno is like carrying your offense or anything, right? There was there was definitely a period of time early in the season where that was true, but that hasn't really been true since. Um, now, do I am I thrilled about the offensive potential of like you know because at least Darno at least something good could happen at the plate whereas Tyler Flowers uh, certainly is starting to look his age a bit at the plate and the things seem to be slowing down with his bat so you know but there's there's definitely benefits to having him start a game he gives Darno a bit of rest especially over a five game stretch um, there might be situations where they the what game he starts will be determined by what pitcher is starting and maybe a guy that's particularly comfortable with him behind the plate. But, you know, in terms of the third catcher, though, um, you know, that, I don't think that matters as much. And I think that I would be very – how would I put it? I'd be very interested to have a lot of pitching depth if I was very comfortable in the pitchers that I'd be adding. Uh, that's really the kind of – I mean, like, you know, adding Bryce Wilson, I mean, do I feel that much better that he's in my bullpen uh, or as an option? That's That's going to be something that they have to determine. I don't necessarily – leaned in that direction and you know maybe having William Contreras as a right-handed bat for you know situations that are hard to foresee say, they're, uh, they're, they're not going to use him that's, that's the best that's thing that yeah, drives me crazy about this yeah. is that he's just not going to use the third catcher unless you just yeah. it has to be a, a serious emergency to get to a third catcher in a situation where you have a DH and it's the same thing with Camargo and whatever but at least with those guys you could say all right one injury to Riley in the middle of a game and you need somebody or yeah, those and, you're guys not, and, you're, and you're never going to pinch run with Contreras. So no, I mean, you know, it's just it's not like again, I, I tend to I tend to pivot towards I would rather have guys that I might use, but you know, as soon as I say that out loud, yeah, you know, Flowers and Darno are going to be hit by pitches in the same game, and people are going to want my head on a pike. So I I will just tentatively say that the one thing I would do is I would take personally take Char- Charlie Cobleson off the roster because. I just between him and Camargo, that's kind of the choice that I would make. But 
I don't see a particularly big role for either one of those guys. So, you know, whatever that decision is, so be it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I just prefer to have at least one more extra pitcher just in case. But I'm certainly empathetic to the position of maybe adding another pitcher. Scott, do you have a take? It's uh, it's not like mm. this is not huge breaking stuff, but I mean, eventually yeah. I'm gonna, I can kind of almost do it yeah. now. Eventually, I'm gonna ask you guys to tell me exactly what you would do with the roster. Um, so we could just start with that now if you want to, Scott. Like, where would you go? And sort of, it's almost like a combination decision with Game Four. Like, it's yeah. too early to plan for Game Four right now because a lot's gonna change. But at this moment, what changes would you make? And that basically also means who do you want to start in Game Four? <laughs> Uh, I I guess I would take the cop out of, I would want to see how game three goes with Wright. Um, if if there is a game four, of course. So, um, I, boy, if you're asking me who I would take as my game four opener, I guess I would go with Inoa just because the stuff is better than Bryce Wilson. Though I guess if I'm trying to, to say who could probably, who's the safer choice there, I think I'd probably go Bryce Wilson. Um, so yeah, I guess I would go one of those two in Game Four, um, but ultimately, it's just, I mean, it's just a hard thing to say without having yeah. an idea of how games one. I mean, if Game Three goes fifteen innings, it's probably going to be a different person than if it, you know, if Kyle Wright throws eight shutouts. So, well, I mean, also, honestly, yeah, I was going to say also you have to decide who you're taking off because, yep. or if you want to carry both of them. That's the other thing. The wildcard roster had neither Eno or Wilson on it. So if you want to have both those guys, you got you got to remove two, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Because I think I think we all agree you got to have at least one more pitcher. But if you want to take both Eno and Wilson, that gets more that gets a little bit more tricky. Well, and if you depending on how the first couple games in the series go, if you get to Game Four, if if there's an opportunity to utilize a Tyler Matzik, a Shane Green guys who could probably go multiple innings, I, I don't think you have to go Wilson or Enoa. I don't think it's a guarantee those guys start. Um, I would imagine those are probably the two favorites at this point. Um, but if, if the bullpen is not heavily used, I would probably be in favor of just skipping them all together and seeing if you can work really nine innings of your, your better relievers, see where the game is at. If you take a 5-0 lead early, maybe you give the ball to Bryce Wilson and you save one of your better guys. If it's if if you have to burn everybody on Wednesday, you have Anoa, you have Wilson, you have someone like that you can give the ball to. Eric, do you have thoughts before we transition? Uh, personally, uh, what I would do probably with the roster, I think they did a, a pretty good job in terms of who to add for the roster for the wild card round. Uh, I'm just in favor of the extra pitcher, so I would be down Charlie Culberson. I would add Enoa uh, as the most likely option to make that that final start. Well, understanding that even if what Scott says is true, maybe you pivot to someone else uh, or you just kind of skip that that suite of guys completely to try to, you know, get a bullpen game out without them. And then you can always, you know, sub them in later. You know, is the guy that I think is going to be harder to pick up and more likely to get some efficient innings without necessarily giving up, um, giving up a bunch of runs along the way. Uh, if Noah's bad, uh, he'll kind of start walking guys and you can get him out of there pretty quickly. If Bryce Wilson's bad, he starts giving up three run homers very quickly. <laughs> so it's just kind of, uh, that's just kind of where my head is on it. And I would just prefer to have him on the roster uh, over Wilson at this point. Yeah. And we'll leave that there for now. Well, there's obviously some utility here and things are going to change during the series. It's very different than the last one. And that it's, this is a long series, five straight days is difficult. Yeah. Um, we'll discuss the bullpen stuff as well. Cause obviously um, and Snick- sticker talked about this today to the media. You could see guys throw as many as four times in a five-game stretch, but not five not five times. Nobody's, nobody's pitching in every game. And also, there are a couple of guys on this roster that, that have not pitched uh, in back-to-back days all season long. So that's something to monitor throughout this uh, throughout this time period. Okay, we'll break now for a second, and then we'll come back talk about all, all kinds of Marlins-related things. So uh, we'll pay the bills for a second. We'll be right back. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, fellas, uh, let's go to some Marlins stuff here. We, we could litigate Max Free pitching, pitching on short rest in Game 5, but hopefully that will not come to pass in a good way. 
for the Braves. Um, so, I don't know. The Marlins are interesting. We've talked around it at this point in time. The Marlins were not particularly good this season. Uh, granted, they did win their first-round series. They did what they had to do to get here, but they eked into the playoffs. They were uh, pretty bad run differential-wise. Um, even if you were to take into account the Braves throttling them by 20 runs in a single game, they were still pretty bad this season. So that's kind of the overarching theme here. Like, we're not going to be overconfident on this podcast. We have our guard up always. But that's sort of the, the top-line thought that I have about the Marlins. We're going to talk about their strengths and weaknesses. But, um, Eric, do you have a different thought about that? Because, like, my whole thing is it's hard to overstate how mediocre the Marlins are, even while definitely acknowledging that, as we said a million times last week, this is a small sample size short series baseball series, and uh, anything can happen. But with that said, the Braves are just better than the Marlins. Yeah, uh, I think that the injuries that the Marlins have in, have encountered with Marte breaking his pinky and somehow still not being ruled out from playing, I think he's more as like a, a I mean, pinch runner. He was available yeah, in game but, two with a broken like it, it, he, yeah, he broke it the previous I, day, and he was like, "Oh, I'm available." Yeah, <laughs> like what? Yeah, I I don't I I'm look. I understand it's a non-displaced fracture in his pinky, and like you know, a couple Twitter doctors were like, "Well, technically, if it's non-displaced, he might not be able to hurt it anymore." And I'm like, "You try swinging a bat against a 96 mile an hour fastball with a broken pinky. I don't care if it's non-displaced or not. Yeah. It's going to hurt. I mean, you're probably not going to be able to do it." They so basically I, said that I'm he wasn't going to be able to hit either way. I mean, uh, yeah, I no. guess with, with with a deep roster, you could argue that he might be worth it just to carry a defensive yeah. guy. But I don't know. It's weird, for sure. Well, I mean, what, what, I mean, what he's going to catch line drives and make throws with that? I'm again, I'm skeptical of that whole situation. Uh, and you, and Jose Urania, mercifully, is out. Yes, I, I would just is. prefer just not uh, because he, he took a line drive off his arm and then he's and it broke it. So you know, he was definitely one of their better arms. Braves fan uh, favorite, Jose Urena. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, obviously a, a, a human toilet, but also you know a guy that you have to kind of worry about in terms of from the competitive standpoint, and with him out. What does that what does that mean for, you know, kind of how the Braves perform? I, I think that ultimately this team just isn't very good. They either win close, and I think that a lot of their close wins have come in some strange situations. Like the Braves lost four games to the Marlins this year, and three of those four losses involved an implosion from Robbie Erlin and then two of, of Kyle Wright's worst starts of the season. So um again, I just I feel like that they kind of got lucky to get where they were. Even if I mean, look a bunch of people were like, hey, well, if you look at their run differential after, you know, you take out the 29-9 game, then they're still not good. They're still a below 500 team. And they were still and they were below a 500 team after their hot start to the season when they, you know, had to miss most of the season because half their team had COVID-19, right? So it's just none of that none of that makes much sense to me in terms of kind of people trying to talk them up more than they ultimately are. If the Braves lose this series, it's because of the thing that I've been worried about the most is what, that the the offense doesn't show up. It's not because of anything the Marlins are going to mean. Look, Sixto Sanchez is really good, but he's probably only going to be able to make one start in this series because of the timing of when his when he had to play game two. Um, Pablo, Sam, Pablo Lopez has pitched one good game against the Braves, and he was also the starter in the 29-9 game. And Sandy Alcantara is, you know, very new, and then you possibly have a bullpen game. This Braves team is significantly better than the Marlins, but if the offense doesn't show up, then I could very easily see the Marlins, you know, winning some three to two, four to five, you know, five to four games, and all of a sudden the Braves get bounced. It's just that simple. Yeah, I think generally we talked, Brad and I talked about on Thursday night, as everybody did after after advancing, do you want to play the Marlins or do you want to play the Cubs? And I think almost everybody unanimously one uh, of the Braves to play Miami because on paper they are a significantly better team. I think they were on paper a little better than the Cubs, but for sure a better team than Miami. Um, you know, you mentioned the Marlins had a hot start. They started out seven and one, and they were four games below 500 after that. Um, all the games count the same, right? But ultimately, this was a team, as we said, squeaked in. Um, they do have a, a good top three. They they honestly kind of remind me of the Reds as we talk about them. They have a three really good, yeah. probably not quite as good as yeah, Bauer, Castillo, and, and Gray, but three good young pitchers who can can carry them in a short series. We saw them dominate against the Cubs. I think uh, I think uh, Alcantara and Sixto only gave up one earned run against the Cubs uh, in their two starts. So um, it's not going to be an easy series for sure, but because of, especially if they don't have Starling Marte, who really gave them a boost in September offensively. 
uh, because of that and and because I think the Braves, they have the experience factor going for them. Um, obviously, they have to hit. That's the important thing. Acuna is really the only guy who showed up in the wild card round with the exception of the eighth inning in game two. And of course, we're talking about two games here. But um, ultimately, I think on paper, the Braves have a significant advantage at just about every spot. And um, weird things are going to happen, right? That, that's the nature of playoff baseball. But I think this is a series the Braves should be able to handle. Right, and we we all said this at the time, but you know the Braves were better than the Cardinals last year and didn't win the series. Like it's it's very possible to lose a series in which you're the better team. Yep. It happens somewhat regularly in baseball. That's the nature of the sport. But uh, yeah, I think we're all on the same page that the Braves should be favored. They are favored. We'll get to the predictions later on in the pod. But yeah, that all makes sense. I mean, the pitching stuff is worth noting. They are that that trio is pretty impressive. The Marlins have not, to my knowledge, announced the order yet in the way the Braves did. But it's going to be those three guys: Lopez, Sanchez, and Alcantara. Unless there's some massive surprise, they could go to a bullpen game in Game Four. They have uh, Daniel Castano and Trevor Rogers were their two other starters. Just for the record, Lopez, Sanchez, and Alcantara are all right-handed, which leads us to believe that the Braves will probably use the exact same lineup that they used against Cincinnati because they're all right-handed pitchers. The other two guys are left-handed that they could throw in Game 4 if they wanted to go with the traditional starting pitcher route. If they do that, we'll see what the lineup looks like for the Braves, but we'll hold off until we know more um, later about that because uh, I think we kind of know what the right-handed lineup looks like. Um, so, I mean, pitching-wise, that's that's their strength on this team. Starting pitching is their strength. Their bullpen was bad this year, and that, a lot of that damage was that 29-9 game for sure. But, you know, advanced numbers were bad. They're, uh, they were bottom five in ERA, war, strikeouts, and FIP among relief cores this year. That is very, very bad. Um, that's an advantage for the Braves. Obviously, the Braves have a good bullpen, and the Marlins do not. That's a huge advantage. Uh, lineup-wise, the Marlins were uh, had a 95 WRC plus this year. That's below league average, um, and that obviously speaks for itself. They were pretty good against left-handed pitching, for the record. They had a 111. WRC plus. So, but fortunately, you know the Braves' only left-handed starter, starting pitcher is Max Freed, who is very good. So you don't have to worry too much about that. I don't think. When against righties, the Marlins had an 89 WRC plus, which is pretty shaky. There's also not anybody in this lineup that scares you too much offensively. I don't want to overstate it, but they have they have some guys who are pretty good. Miguel Rojas was good this year. Brian Anderson, um, Marte was probably this maybe the scariest guy. But I mean, Scott, does anybody in this lineup? scare you because with the Reds we noted that they had some struggles this year but they had legitimate power bats that could scare you potentially a little bit in the series like they weren't great this year but they had guys with pedigree who had you know 30 home run seasons on their their ledger the Marlins don't really have anybody like that yeah this lineup it's really kind of unconventional for 2020 right they were I, I believe number two in stolen bases but in the bottom five in home runs so um, they're a team that's not going to try to go out there and bomb you for, for nine innings. They're going to manufacture runs. They're going to try to steal bases, which is such a lost uh, a thing that teams don't do really anymore in this era of, of the home run ball. Um, so, no, I mean, is there a guy? Sure, Miguel Rojas had a good 40 games, a 142 WRC+. Plus. Uh, Brian Anderson is a really solid baseball player. We've seen him really develop the last couple years. Do you remember always... when John Heyman called Miguel Rojas a star this season? Yes. And we all made fun of him? <laughs> I, I just remember uh, that just now. I actually forgot all about that until you said his name. And I was like, oh, yeah. Yes. I remember when Heyman called him a star? And we were all like, who? What? Why? And then I think uh, and then I think he called Jesus Aguilar, uh, who, <laughs> who seems like a great guy. But he called him like, uh, you know, a dark horse MVP or something like that. Just something. Oh, Shout out to John Heyman. Shouts to John Heyman. Um, yes. But anyway. Uh, no, so it's a, it's a lineup that can drive you a little bats because they have a bunch of guys who a lot of doubles, not a ton of home run power. They're going to run. That's that's a big thing. The Braves catchers this year, of course, were not great throwing out base runners. But um, ultimately, this is a lineup like Cincinnati that does not scare you a ton. I would argue Cincinnati even has more name recognition and was better offensively in, in the short 60-game sample. But uh, ultimately, this is comparing the two lineups. It, it's night and day, to be sure. Yeah, I think that one thing that, you know, in terms of checking the Marlins running game is that I'm not sure if taking big leads and trying to cheat on Max Freed is something that teams should be advised to do because there's there's one thing that he can do as a lefty that you kind of want all your lefty pitchers to do is to take guys' souls when they when they try to lead too far first because he'll pick you off. So I think that if he's a guy that, especially if you can start him twice, like I think that'll kind of put a little bit of fear into the way, what the Marlins do in terms of trying to take those extra bases. And more importantly, it's just, I feel like a lot, so many pieces have to get going in this series 
for the Marlins to have a chance because what Scott said is right. Like, you know, they're not kind of like the big boppers, you know, a couple guys, you know, hit two, you know, three run homers. You know what I mean? It's, you know, they have to get, get a run, get another run, you know, get a sacrifice fly, you know, advance runners that way and things like that. And that requires like your lineup top to bottom to be functioning pretty well. And you're getting one of your better on base guys and one of your better offensive pieces in Marte, who's not really feasibly. And, you know, if we're just in realistically not going to be a factor in this series and you have when it comes to familiarity, you know, maybe the Braves have an idea as to kind of what guys they can go to and what guys they can't to go to for outs now. I like my, ch- I like the Braves' chances in terms of taking advantage of a lineup that I wouldn't call them offensively challenged because I don't think that's necessarily fair. They're pretty, they're pretty meh, uh, and they're you know again they're they're actually a little bit of better better away from Miami than they are you know at home. So you know maybe they can kind of stitch something together and score a few runs. I don't think they're as offensively inept as the Reds are. The Reds were they were tr- they were terrible, but they I think that they're, they're going to have a tough time against the the Braves, the way that they're pitching combined with the, how the bullpen's running too, to keep up with a lineup that is very familiar with the pitchers that they're going to be going against and has have demonstrable and recent and recent success against them. Um, you know, I mean, the Braves have won four of the last five games against the Marlins, you know, the, the, the hot start that the Marlins had, you know, kind of, and, you know, uh, one series in the middle of the year against the Braves were, you know, kind of skewed the numbers a little bit, but the Braves have really kind of dominated the, the recent matchup. And it seems like, you know, the, the veneer of the, the shiny newness of Sixto Sanchez. I mean, the Braves kind of understood what to do and that's, you know, against him the next time they went against him and played pretty well against him. And obviously Pablo, you know, he got, he, he didn't survive the second inning uh, in that, the drubbing the Braves put against him. So I just, I like what the Braves can bring to the table and I just don't see the the Marlins offense being able to keep up. I don't think it's like, this is going to be like a bunch of nine, nothing Braves wins because I, I don't think this Marlins seems bad at all. But I do think that it's they're going to kind of, it's not a good matchup for the Marlins. It's just not. Honestly, I think they kind of are bad. But we don't want to say that out loud. But they, they're this is not a very good baseball team on paper. I'm sorry, they're just not. I mean, the Reds. I feel like the Reds underachieved this year compared to their talent level in the regular season. Uh, even with the yeah. you know the, the rotation is yeah. obviously quite good. We saw that on full display in that short series. But the Reds, we I mean we, at least I thought coming into the year it looked like a potential playoff team. No one yep. thought that of the Marlins team. The Marlins team overachieved and got lucky with run differential. And this is not a very great baseball team on paper. Again, they can still win the series. And no one's saying they can't. But, I mean, if you go down the roster, the only potential advantage on paper the Marlins have is starting pitching versus starting pitching. And I'm not sure it's that big of an advantage because Max Freed is the best pitcher in the series. And Ian Anderson looks like a star. Um, I'm not sure he's going to be a star still again, but he was awesome in his last start. Um so yeah, I, bullpen versus bullpen, clearly advantage Braves. Lineup, ver, lineup versus lineup, clearly advantage Braves. I don't know. We could talk about it. I, I've tried not to be like, we're confident, I'm pretty sure, about this series. But again, it's baseball. I, I don't even know what else to say, frankly. I, I feel like we could talk about how kind of shaky the Marlins are. But it comes down to, I think Eric said it earlier, I think we, maybe you both did. It comes down to whether the Braves hit. I mean, we talked about this after the clincher for like two seconds before I realized it was too negative to talk about, but the Braves lineup for three straight playoff series now has not been good. Um, so there's different, different pieces along the way. Ronald Acuna was the only guy with over a 722 OPS. Again, it's two games, but um, the only way the Braves are in trouble in this series, I think is if they don't hit, you know, yes, Ian Anderson could blow up. So could Kyle Wright. I mean, it's, it, there's stuff that's on the table, but if they hit, at a decent level in this series, you got to feel really good about the Braves overall. Um, we can transition. We can transition now, I guess, into some predictions. I think we're all going to pick the Braves. We've all sort of edged in that direction. Um, I'll start with Scott, and feel free to add any final other thoughts you might have before you deliver your prediction, Scott. But um, I guess it's that time to wrap it up and uh, give our final takes. I think going into the Red Series, it was we, we compared it to the five twelve game in the NCAA tournament and the Reds were the 12 seed that everybody picks to win. Right. And of course what happened, the Braves didn't give up a run and, and won fairly handily. Um, I don't know. I, I want to say that recent history is maybe clouding us a little bit, but on paper, there is no reason for this series to be very close. And frankly, I, I don't think it's going to be. Um, I will say hmm, uh, my first reaction was Braves in three. I'm going to go with that. The, the no, the no crowd thing. I really just don't 
think the Marlins, if they had Starling Marte healthy, and I guess it's possible his his finger isn't as bad as expected, but um, I'll say Braves in three. It was my gut for Braves in two against Cincinnati, and I'll say Braves in three against Miami. Um, naturally, this series is going to get weird and watch it go to like extra innings in game five for no good reason, but um, I'll take us in, in three. And um, to be sure, I think Miami has some pieces, and I think they're set up for a long, long time, but I, I think the Braves have marketed advantages pretty much everywhere and and if even if the starting pitching is equal i don't think miami has enough to to win a short series so i'll take braves in three go ahead so, Eric. fire away <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing right let's assume a world where the marlins actually have an advantage with starting pitching which honestly i'm not sold on kyle wright's looked better ian anderson's looked amazing max freed's looked amazing right but let's assume a world where the Marlins starting pitching is actually better. Then what do those matchups mean? If the Braves still pitch the way we think they're going to pitch, is it how likely is it that they shut down the, the Marlins lineup? I would say it's fairly likely to very likely. I don't think that's necessarily – even if the Marlins kind of can pitch almost to their peak. Like if – look, Sixto Sanchez, if he's at peak – and like throwing, you know, just throwing strikes and painting corners, throwing 99 miles an hour, then yeah, he's able of like throwing a complete game shutout against the Braves, and that would obviously be bad. But I think that based on what we think of the Braves' offense in a vacuum versus what they've been doing in, in playoff series the last three years, if we think that if we think we know what the Braves' offense is, even if the Marlins are pitching well, they're still not going to be able to keep the Braves' offense off the board. So even in the most likely, even if the like the even in the most favorable of scenarios, I probably wouldn't pick the Marlins in this series. Now that said, I totally agree, and I'm going to go ahead and put this up. This the Marlins are very capable of beating the Braves in this series. Yep. They have won a series against the Braves this season. However, the most recent series that the Braves played was a four-game series against the Marlins. They took three of four. That's what I'm going to go with. I think that the offense is leaps and bounds better. I think that even if the starting pitching, you know, struggles. The bullpen can jump right in, and I don't think the Marlins can be able to do much about it. I don't think that the Marlins have a measurable advantage anywhere, uh, and I'm still, even saying all that, I'm still willing to give them a game, and I'll say the Braves in four. Yeah, so it's my contractual duty to give the numbers and the projections out just so people understand what they are in this series, even with everyone, and I think you know everyone in the world would acknowledge the Braves is the better team on paper in this series, but with that said, um, Zips projections give the Braves a 76.8% chance to win the series. 538 is at 72%. Sportsline is at 72.4%. So essentially, that's three, you know, three and four. But that's not, it's not 90. It's not 95. This is still baseball. It's a five-game series and where things happen. So, you know, I think it's perfectly fine to pick the Braves in three. I think the Braves will be, will be favored in every game. If you look at these Zips game-by-game game projections, they're all like Braves in the high 60s to 70% range to win. So that makes sense to me. I just, uh, you know, the by-the-book play is probably Braves in four, if you do the math um, on the projection systems. That's kind of where I would lean to. Um, I mean, I'm probably closer to picking Braves in five than Braves in three, just because of the math and how this works. I'm not sure... I got, Maybe if the Dodgers were playing the Marlins, I might pick Dodgers in three. But other than that, I just can't get to three. But obviously the Braves could sweep them. There's no question in my mind they could absolutely sweep 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 a series. Uh, but yeah, I think I'll I'll settle on Braves in four as the uh, smart by the book play. Um, you know, game one's big. It's always big. But I think for a team like the like the Braves in a, in a position where they're favored. Throwing Max Freed on full rest in Game One. If that game goes the way it's supposed to go, hopefully for the Braves, then you feel like up 1-0, and the inferior team has to beat you three out of four on a neutral site. Then the Braves become like an 85% chance probably against the uh, against the projections. So Game One can swing a lot because if you lose Game One, are the Braves still favored? That's a question I want to ask both of you actually. If you let's just assume right now nothing crazy happens, the Braves just lose Game One. By one run and some strange, no injuries, nothing else. The Braves are down one nothing in the series. Scott, do you pick the Braves to win the series down one nothing? Um, I'm assuming yeah, yes because I, you just you you, you 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 just pick Braves in three. So I'm assuming you still pick the Braves to win the series down one nothing. It's close, yeah, obviously. Game one is certainly very very important, 
Um, I would, yeah, I would take the Braves in five in that situation. The fact that there's no travel, um, it's going to be five days in a row. I think the Braves bullpen depth is something we haven't really talked about tonight, but the bullpen depth for the Braves, I think is really going to come in handy if, if they do have to play four or five games in four or five days. Um, so yeah, I mean, if they do lose game one, certainly possible, uh, and this series could very easily go four or five games, no problem, right? Yep. Um, but if, if Atlanta does lose game one, I would still lean Braves in five, but I would certainly like to get game one into your belt because I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would imagine teams that win game one in a, in a five-game series probably win, what, 80% of the time? Uh, you, that, that first game is crucial. Yeah, I'd still pick the Braves. Uh, I'd probably pick them in five as well. Um, I think that the advantage is, I mean, having to win three of the next four games, like just like that's what they have to do to advance is much harder. Um, but again, it'd be kind of a, it's a situation where I just I feel like that they're they're already going to lose lose a, a, a kind of a fluky game, and you know that seems to be more likely in maybe if, in a game one situation. I don't think it makes it change the tone of the series so much. Now, a lot of things can happen, like why that loss happens. Like if Max Fried has to leave the game in the second inning. Yeah, that's why I said injury, that's why I said no injuries. Yeah, if it if nothing weird happens, then it was just, you know, that's just when the Braves took their loss. But the I, I feel pretty confident in the Braves just uh, on a game to game basis to kind of to win most of the games. And I think that winning three out of five isn't completely unreasonable to guess either. So I would still pick the Braves, but like again, it's more of a 55 to 60% thing uh, as opposed to what I think is a, a more overwhelming advantage than they have right now because you know if the Braves win game 1 you know the I just don't think there's any chance that the Marlins will win 3 of the next 4 it, so it'll be my know, job on the podcast it's a pretty wild swing it, it'll be my job on the podcast after game 1 if the Braves win to remind people that's, that that it's not over cuz I think people are going to think it's over if they win I, game 1 um and it's not but I I, I know what you're saying <laughs> Now, Brad, given your prediction that was like spot on of 2.44 whatever wins that you guessed last time, <laughs> uh, considering the 2. extra 6. innings, are there going to be any extra inning games in this series? I want you to go ahead and call your shot now. Yeah, I mean, smart so money's on we... smart money's on yes, I think, on that one, but I don't know. It's We'll see. I, th- I think it was interesting to kind of level the playing field by asking you in that hypothetical situation, the Braves lose game one, what happens? Because, you know, everyone agrees, again, the Braves are favored in this series. In fact, since we've been... Recording this podcast, which is you know multiple years now and multiple playoff series, this is very clearly the the time the Braves are the biggest favorite in the playoff series of any other time. Yep. I know I know they were favor of the Cardinals last year. They should have been. This is you know, given this is a five game series. I think the Marlins are also worse than the Reds, um, but there was more volatility in a three gamer than a five gamer. I just think that this is the this is the biggest favorite the Braves have been in the playoff series in a long time. I would imagine. Um, so that doesn't I mean, mean it has to be. I mean, like in 20 years, yeah. at least. That's what yeah. I mean. I, yeah. I just think that, like, especially because if you look at the way that this Marlins, the, the Marlins team, their run, their run differential, the expanded playoffs, this is not really a playoff. Like, the Marlins are not a playoff team on paper. They're just not in any way, shape, or form. Could they play like? Could they play that way for a five-game series again? Absolutely, they can. But in terms of what they showed over 60 games, this is not a playoff team traditionally. And then the Braves actually were a playoff team traditionally. They won their division, all that stuff. So they're a bigger favorite than, you know, I would probably say the Dodgers were a bigger favorite over the Brewers in the first round than the Braves are over the Marlins because the Dodgers are just ridiculous. But other than that, this is about as lopsided as it gets in the playoffs. And you've seen that by the projections. Like even the betting markets, like the Braves are like almost minus 300 favorites. That doesn't really happen in a playoff series in baseball. And it's because of the talent discrepancy. So I don't know. We're try- we'll try to knock on all the wood um, between now and then, but we're all confident. I think it probably comes through at this point in time, and then of course we'll uh, we'll talk about this every uh, every game starting Tuesday on this podcast. Um, gentlemen, if you have any final thoughts, please deliver them. If not, please plug stuff. I don't know if you've written anything. I know we have plenty of content on the site for sure, and much much more to come. But uh, Eric Scott, if you have final thoughts, please deliver them now. If not, we'll sign off. Yeah, just make sure that you're watching the sh- site because there's going to be a lot of preview content going up over the next couple days. I know that Garrett Garrett has an unrelated piece going up tomorrow uh, covering the uh, minor league contraction and kind of what that means for the Raves going forward. But beyond that, it's going to be a lot of, you know, how do the Marlins match up? How does the offense look? How does the defense look? Kind of a, a longer form version of what we've done in this podcast is going to be happening over the next couple of days. 
Uh, yours truly is on game coverage for t- for Tuesday. So, and if you're wanting to follow along with the game, but you're struggling to do so because of the, you know, the BS time slots that the Braves seemingly drew again, again, um, I don't think they can do this every series because at some point they just, you know, they can't put the like the like if they make it to the next round, they can't put like LCS games on at two o'clock. So I guess that's good. Um, but you know, if you want to follow along and join in the conversation, make sure you're not talking chop. The game threads are always a good time. Uh, for the most part, there's some people who I think shouldn't be allowed out in public that participate in those. But beyond that, it's a, it's a good time to follow along with a lot of a really, really great community, honestly. So make sure you follow along the site during the series, uh, as well as beforehand. So we should have plenty of preview content for you. Yeah. Thank, thanks to everybody who has checked out the site. And it, there's been a ton of activity lately. Uh, which is great. That's the best part of playoff baseball, especially when you win, right? You hope the winning continues. Uh, thanks to everybody who, who's listening and tell a friend and download and subscribe and all that good stuff. Uh, we, we truly do appreciate it. And uh, here's hoping we have, at minimum, we have three more podcasts to do. Here's hoping we have uh, three more to do in the very near future, and then we have a whole bunch more right after that. So uh, let's let's hope for a good week. Will said, gentlemen, please subscribe to the podcast. If you missed anything from the previous uh, previous series, you can go back and download at least for us. You don't have to listen necessarily, but it always helps to download the podcast. Please tell a friend. If you have a Braves fan friend or two that are not, that are not listening, please share the show with them. If they hate it, that's okay. Get, have them give us a chance um, throughout this process. And again, we have we are planning to be here after every game. If you subscribe, you'll get the podcast in your feed, as well as a follow us all on Twitter, uh, as well as the site on Twitter, and you'll get the latest from all of us. And yeah, Tuesday afternoon, buckle up, friends. It'll be a lot of fun and hopefully a long playoff run to come. So stay tuned for all of that. And we'll see you on Tuesday evening. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.